Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be introducing Genesis chapter 11. Not sure that we'll get into the text. There's a lot to cover. This very pivotal chapter in the book of Genesis. And so we want to talk about why it's here and and what function it serves. As we come to this uh, chapter, again, just remember, as we often like to point out, that chapter and verse divisions are not inspired. They came later. So Moses is the compiler, the author, uh, the one who's put together the book of Genesis under divine inspiration. They would not have had the divisions that we have, and there are some natural linguistic divisions that we see, like, you know, in verse one, now the whole earth had one language. There seems to be a sudden change. And especially when you see like this kind of inclusio type of format uh, in chapter 10, chapter 10 isn't all, you know, it's not super long. And 10 verse one, these are the generations. You have this Toledoth, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, sons who were born to them, and the sons that were born to them after the flood. Then it ends, these are the clans of Noah according to their genealogies. So it seems to form this nice little inclusio where you start with this statement, then you explore the statement, then you wrap it up with a similar statement. Now we're not changing completely. We don't have a new Toledoth here, so we're still under the Toledoth of Genesis 10 verse 1, However, linguistically, there is a subject change. Now the whole earth had one language. Now we're shifting and we're moving towards the topic of language. So so we're really kind of in this, this midpoint here. And, and linguistically, that makes sense why there is a division that came centuries later. Uh, but why do we have, uh, why do we have this section here? And uh, And there's really a couple of reasons. Why is chapter 10 here? Why is chapter 11? Really, what is the function of this Toledoth? That's really the question, right? We're going to come to another Toledoth at the end of Genesis 11. doesn't actually fall in Genesis 12. In verse 27, these are the generations of Terah. Terah is the father of Abram. Now we're going to find out uh, where Abram came from, and more importantly, the reason that it goes to Terah and we discover what happens to him is we're also going to find out where Lot came from, right? Remember, Lot is the nephew of Abram. Well, now we're going to find out where his genealogy comes from. We tend to focus in on Abram, and I get it, but there's a reason. It makes a lot of sense, actually, when we understand how these Toledoths function. So that comes at the end of Genesis 11, but between Genesis 10.1 and Genesis 11.26, why is this here? Well, for a few different reasons. Number one, that Israel might know the history of their enemies. We kind of brought this out in portions of our discussion of Genesis 11, that we now know there are some fringe groups that we don't know anything about or very little about, and then there are other groups that really jump out to us and uh, or jump out at us. And, and the point is, is that now we know where they came from and we can tie all 
the, uh, the clans, all the tribes of the earth, we can tie them back to Noah and his sons. That's very important because we don't have human beings. You know, this, this actually really proves to disprove, it serves to disprove, I should say, this whole theory of spontaneous evolution. I remember hearing and just taking for granted before the Lord saved me uh, later on, the Lord saved me in my teenage years. Uh, but of course, I grew up in the public schools and I was indoctrinated uh, outside of the Bible with this whole idea of evolution and everything like that. There's so many gaping holes and there's no satisfactory explanation. One of the things that really jumps out to me, this is just a logical argument. You don't have to have a degree in biology. I mean, it helps to know just a little bit, but enough to know that what they're arguing, right? You know, I want to know what the premise of, of biological evolution is. And, and the, the whole argument of evolution, macro evolution, is that human beings or homo sapiens, you know, they like to use all the, the technical wording here. You know, we evolved from another species. We're talking speciation here, right? We're talking different species uh, and uh, of life. And they're saying, well, we came from another species. Ultimately, you know, not just the ape, but the ape came from the fish. And, you know, how did the fish, why do we still have fish? Why do we still have apes? They laugh at us when we ask questions like that. Those are important questions to ask. But even more than that, you know, I I have logical questions about these things. We were told, and I was told this firsthand. I mean, I, I get that this is anecdotal here, but I know that so many of the listeners are going to be able to relate to this. At least they know people or they themselves also grew up. uh, Maybe you're one of them who grew up in the public schools and you heard these things. It's time for us to put our thinking caps on and to ask uh, the difficult questions, to ask the questions that we really need coherent answers and responses to. And, And one of those things is, you know, we're told that it takes millions and millions, tens of millions of years, maybe hundreds of millions of years for macro evolution to occur. Well, therein is a huge problem. Uh, We're told that we have incredible amounts of fossil evidence of the prehistoric, you know, beings that, you know, what we were and, uh, you know, whether that's apes or something else, we have all that, that archeological and skeletal evidence. Okay. And now we have lots of skeletal evidence of modern human beings and we've got that. And then we've got just the tiniest. So, you know, when you think about the number of bones that are in the world today and in the soil and things that, you know, in, in the fossil record, I should say a lot of bones turn to dust and things, but you think about the number of bones that we have and then what we have as far as a transitionary um, species, you know, that's supposed to argue for, hey, this is the missing link. You've heard that's, that statement made before. We have very few of those. I mean, incredibly few. Like, you can count them. Uh, we don't have millions and millions. We have, you know, handfuls at, at the most. That's all we have. And here's the question that I have, that if, if the species literally spends tens of millions of years or more transitioning from one species to another, then we should actually have more evidence in the fossil bed and more in the fossil record, we should have more evidence and a preponderance of evidence of these transitionary fossils than we do of either the starting point or the ending point, right? Because millions, tens of millions of years, 
That, that's a huge gaping question. Well, then there comes another question. And I'm, I'm getting back to this whole, you know, how this serves. But this serves really in a practical apologetic uh, standpoint as well for the Christian today. And, and that is this, uh, not only that, that's a huge question. That's one of the first questions that I have that I've never heard. I've never read an explanation. I've never heard an explanation for that. We're just supposed to take it on faith, I guess, uh, even though supposedly that community doesn't believe in faith at all, but they actually do. That's a discussion for another day. But the other thing that comes with that is who's to say that according to macroevolution and supposedly spontaneous mutation that produces these things, we would need both a male and a female human of the same kind with the same exact mutation, supposedly, right? Going from that last animal, you know, mostly animal into the, the modern day human, we would need both a male and a female to spontaneously evolve in the same place at the same time. I mean, it wouldn't really help to have a male human being, if, you know, make that, that first male evolves, you know, from its mostly ape ancestor or whatever it is, and then to have the female uh, 2,000 miles away, keep in mind that they're only on, on foot, they're both going to die before they ever meet one another. And conversely, what if you had two males that spontaneously evolved, supposedly? Uh, that would be a real problem because there's no propagation of the species at that point. Again, one of the practical arguments for one of the things that we're facing today in our culture with a massive agenda to push a certain ideology and agenda uh, foisted upon all the people, and especially our youth in the public schools and everything, and that's this whole idea of homosexuality and gender identity and all these other things. Well, the problem is, is there's no propagation of the species, which, you know, you could ask yourself, maybe that's one of the one of the goals. Okay, and, and that's definitely a discussion for another day as well. But biologically, it's not possible. Two males can't come together and help the species produce and perpetuate, and neither can two females. So we've got all kinds of issues. And I, you say, where does this fit into this whole discussion? Well, it comes in right here. Because what if somebody were to argue that maybe there were other human beings you know, they'll say, I'll just, I'll grant you Adam and Eve. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that they existed. And I'll even grant you this idea of sin. But if we believe in macro evolution, where we have massive change within a species, then it's possible under that, and I've actually seen this argumentation among so-called Christian apologists. I don't think that they are. I think that they're syncretists at best. They're not trying to defend the scripture. But then they're going to say that, that we could have a, a species of human that's the exact same as Adam and Eve, but that rose up alongside them concurrently and weren't affected by the fall. Now we have a problem. And I hope you see that. Theologically, there's a huge problem. Where do the enemies of Israel come from? Where do the people you know that, that Abraham's going to encounter later on at the end of this chapter where where do these other foreign people you know come in and and in the chapters that follow well if you say that it's possible that the human species evolved on multiple different points at different times in different places then we have a real problem theologically 
And in fact, that negates a whole bunch of, you know, the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death passed to all men for that all have sinned, we now have a problem. Well, how, are you sure that it's by one? What if there was another, you know, subset over there? See, we have a theological problem. You don't even have to be a biologist to understand this. You have a theological and logical issue with that. And, and so we now begin to understand that the way Jesus understood the history of the world and creation, of course, he would understand it because he's the author of creation. He is the creator. He is the one who gave Moses the scripture. He understood that it was just one man. Adam is the first and Eve was created. And from him, the entire species came forward and the entire species was plunged into sin. And so death spread upon all men. Uh, I think Romans 5, 12, you know, so we have, <laughs> we, this is, this is just huge, but that also means that the enemies of Israel, they not only inherited a sin nature, uh, and, and that's really the overarching issue here, but they have a direct descendancy right to Noah. Very, very important. So Israel needs to know the history of their enemies. That's where we see this coming from. And that's why this is important. This is seen in the glimpse of the previous Toledoth, which gives the account of Noah. That's the one that starts in Genesis 6 and ends in Genesis 9.29. But it ends with the account of the sin of Ham, the father of Canaan, which would have been significant to Israel's history uh, because they were given this information as they finished up their wilderness wandering and they're heading into the land of Canaan. That's really important. They're receiving the book of Genesis as they're going into the land of Canaan and now they are reading from the, the mouth of God, from the hand of God, and through his servant Moses, this is where these people came from. That's incredible. Not only do we see that glimpse of that in that previous Toledoth, but Toledoth, it's seen in full in Genesis 10 with the new Toledoth. That's what we talked about in the last episode, where the majority of the text of that chapter is given to the descendants of Ham. Now we start with Japheth and we, we work in reverse order, but it's really fascinating that the bulk of that chapter, verses 6 to 20, are given to Ham and his descendants. The overarching point is not to look solely at Ham and his descendants, as the next Toledoth will look at Shem, uh, verses you know, 10 to 26 of uh, chapter 11 here, but rather all of them so that we can get a big picture. Ham's children include Egypt and Put. Not much delineation is given, but enough to recognize that while Egypt had once been friendly to Israel, that's the end of Genesis, they were no longer of the same sentiment by the Exodus. Remember when the nation of Israel is receiving this. They're not receiving this while they're in good terms with Egypt. They're receiving this while the Pharaoh hates them and they have been driven out. They're actually receiving this after the Exodus event and they're out wandering in the wilderness. That's why the bulk of that material is focused on that particular person, on Ham and his descendants, so that we can understand Egypt, so we can understand the, the enemies, and so that we can understand how the enemies got into the land where they are headed, their, their, their final destination, right, where God is leading them. So it, it, it all makes sense when we step back and look at it from the big picture. By the time of the Exodus, Egypt is then the enemy of Israel. Later on, Israel would fight another enemy named the Philistines, who are also direct descendants of Egypt. Fascinating how that works. 
Ham's children also include Cush. Uh, that's his firstborn and his descendants. Uh, Seba, Havila, Sabtag, Rama, and Sabteka. We looked at that. Then Nimrod, the mighty hunter, he made a name for himself. Babel is his first city. He grew his kingdom to include the long future enemies of Israel. Uh, and that's incredible, you know, when you look at this, that they're not just their immediate enemies that they're facing now, but the ones that they're going to encounter long, long into the future they're all going to come back to, to the children of Ham and, and now through Nimrod as he builds this legacy and this kingdom for himself, starting with Babel, which is eventually going to end up as Babylon. That's going to factor greatly into Israel's history by, by the time we get to some of the major prophets and the deportations. And so we understand that. And from him, uh, we have the Assyrians, we have the city of Nineveh, uh, we have you know incredible places that are strongholds of enmity against Israel. Uh, Ham's children also include Canaan, uh, ten chapter ten verses fifteen to twenty, on whom the curse was put for the transgression of Ham. These people comprise the most of the immediate and direct threat to Israel at the time that they are first exposed to this writing. They're going to be facing these people who are the sons of Ham. This is the descendants of Canaan. And then, of course, the Jebusites, a people group, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites, uh, those Gentilic endings that we talked about. So it's, it's really the, one of the first purposes of this chapter then, and this whole section, this Toledoth, is so that Israel might know the history of their enemies. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick it up with another observation in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.